Congressional Democrats, uh, <coughs> excuse me, bigots, um, bring back Kamala Harris's abortion pipe dream bill the Women's Health Protection Act, a euphemism if there ever was one. It's the most radical pro-abortion piece of federal legislation in American history. Dr. Fauci funds uh, baby scalping to grow the hair of that recently murdered baby on rats. And the New York Times publishes an op-ed demanding that corporate America boycott pro-life states. The culture of death allows no dissent, but dissent we shall. I'm Seth Gruber, and this is Unaborted. Welcome to the show today, guys. Thank you so much for tuning in. Um, a lot's been going on in the country, per the usual. Um, but the culture of death has really ramped up their progressive descent into hell as they demand that everyone either applaud what they do or shut up or you'll be treated as a heretic of the religion of secular progressivism. But before we get to that, if you enjoy this show, if you've been listening for a little bit and this has been helpful for you, would you leave us a rating and review? It really helps us reach more people. Whatever platform you listen on, go ahead, particularly iTunes, leave us a rating and review. Let us know what you think as we continue to try to climb up the... Um, the ladder and the rating so that more people are actually exposed to the ideas that we talk about in this show uh, while we're allowed to exist on these platforms. So thank you. That really helps us a lot. So the Women's Health Protection Act has been um, resuscitated. Now, this bill was initially co-sponsored by Kamala Harris. Any shocker there? By the way, Kamala Harris has the most um, furthest left voting record of anyone in Congress um, and that included Bernie freaking Sanders. She's also the most pro-abortion politician in American history, and I'm not speaking hyperbolically. You can go back and listen to my episode, Kamala Harris Hates Babies, where I went through her political history on abortion. I believe that was last August, so approaching a year ago. And it, it's quite heinous. It's quite disturbing. Well, that bill has been brought back by the Democrats in Congress, the Women's Health Protection Act. This bill is essentially just a legislative way to say, shut up, <laughs> shut up, you pro-lifers. Stop talking about your ideas. Stop passing pro-life bills. Stop it, stop it, stop it, because there can be no dissent in the culture of death, because it's not an alternative politics. It's an alternative religion. This is just the Democrats' way of saying this debate is over. They hate the fact that Roe versus Wade, while it legalized abortion at a, on a federal level, still allowed states to pass bills to protect the preborn before viability. This subjective term that means when we've invented medical technology that enables us to make children able to survive outside the womb. But that changes every few years. And of course, we went through Mississippi's recent abortion ban, I believe at six weeks that's, or eight weeks that's going to go before the Supreme Court soon, um, which is all based on this idea of viability. They hate that states have the ability and freedom to pass certain pro-life bills. And so the Women's Health Protection Act just becomes this way to federalize everything on abortion, wipe out state-level pro-life legislation, and treat the dissenters of the culture of death as heretics. Because the more incremental ones, incremental pro-life bills across the country, are currently still allowed to stand, and they do save some lives. And they also function as a teacher, right? The law is a teacher teaching the American public that, hey, if this bill, which says it's wrong to kill babies if you're killing them because they have Down syndrome, 
if that's wrong, because that kind of feels like eugenics, we don't really like how that makes us feel, if, if we can get the American public to say that, well, yeah, killing babies just because of a Down syndrome diagnosis in the womb is wrong, then how could killing other babies through abortion who don't have Down syndrome be okay, right? It teaches the American public a certain moral truths, and the culture of death hates that. And the bills that ban abortion at six weeks that haven't stood yet, um, they also hate because the point is that we're trying, right? The point is that we're allowed to try and participate in the American political project to speak through our representatives, to communicate our moral will, our moral vision. And the left hates that because they're the real theocrats. And so the Guttmacher Institute, which is Planned Parenthood's statistical research branch, um, they published this piece just recently saying, 2021 is on track to become the most devastating anti-abortion state legislative session in decades. They're very afraid of all of the state-level pro-life laws that are being passed or being attempted to be passed. And so the Women's Health Protection Act just becomes a way to counter all of that from the federal level, taking away the democratic will. So what would this do? It's called S-1645, the Women's Health Protection Act. In short, this Women's Health Protection Act would ensure a woman can have an abortion for any reason at all through all nine months of pregnancy. Now that's already the current state of affairs because even though the court said that states could ban abortion in the third trimester and they could regulate it in the second trimester, um, a woman could still get a third trimester abortion if failure to do so endangered her health. That was the language in Doe versus Bolton, the Roe versus Wade companion case. Well, endangered her health. I mean, abortion, I mean, pregnancy always impacts a woman's health. What does that mean, health? Well, they didn't define the word health. So in other words, health can be defined so broadly to include family health, mental health, social health, financial health, anything the woman wants it to mean to get the abortionist to accept her definition of health to get that late-term abortion. So abortion is already allowed through all nine months of pregnancy, but many Americans are not aware of that. So many bans on third trimester abortions do save babies, but they want to ensure that no one can ban abortion at any point at any, uh, in all nine months of pregnancy. The Women's Health Protection Act would simultaneously wipe out nearly every state-level pro-life bill or law all around the country. The Charlotte Lozier Institute, who helps craft pro-life legislation and does great coverage for Americans on the type of legislation being brought by the culture of death, had a great piece in 2020, back when this bill had tried to be passed originally, called 10 Things You Need to Know About the Women's Health Protection Act. And, and this is the same bill. They've just brought it back up. So here's a few things that this Women's Health Protection Act would do. Once again, the most radical piece of pro-abortion legislation at the federal level in American history. So here's just a few things it would do to show you the radicalization of, of today's Democratic Party, which really doesn't align with most of the country, even those who are registered Democrats. Doctors and nurses who conscientiously object to abortion could lose their jobs. So <laughs> if you say, um, hey, I'm, I'm a Catholic nurse, or I'm an atheist, but I'm pro-life, and I'm a nurse or I'm a doctor, I don't perform abortions, I believe it's wrong, uh, you could lose your job. Same thing that the Equality Act would do if it was ever passed is it would also threaten pro-life OBGYNs and doctors with career termination if they don't perform the damn abortion, because if you dissent, you're a heretic. Catholic hospitals could also lose public funds if they chose to not perform abortions. Radical stuff. So much for the separation of church and state, huh?
The Women's Health Protection Act would jeopardize, would jeopardize informed consent laws, such as ultrasound requirements and reflection periods. So some of the incremental pro-life bills that have been allowed to stand and have saved the lives of the unborn are laws that say you can't get an abortion unless you have first had an ultrasound, meaning you can't go through killing your baby until you have first seen your baby. And we know that about four out of five women who board a mobile medical unit that pro-lifers operate outside of abortion clinics will choose life. So a huge percentage, 80 plus percent of women who get an ultrasound before an abortion will reject abortion because they're exposed to the humanity of their child, the humanity that Planned Parenthood and the abortion clinic or industry try to keep hidden from her at every turn. So, so much for those ultrasound requirements and reflection periods, meaning these 24-hour waiting periods sometimes before you can get an abortion, all those would be wiped out by the Women's Health Protection Act. The bill would also jeopardize parental notification requirements. And this is so common sense, it's crazy that people even oppose it, unless your politics is not a politics, it's an alternative religion whose greatest sacrament is human sacrifice, is child sacrifice, is abortion. Abortion is the greatest sacrament of the religion of secular progressivism. And so they defend it with religious zeal, as zealots, not as merely politicians who are, want to be open to an American debate on these controversial topics. No, they want to require adherence to the religious agenda. And so allowing parents to be notified to either approve or not allow their minor to get an abortion before that minor gets an abortion also runs counter to the goals of the left and to this bill. Because the left knows that if parents are involved, most parents, even if they're pro-choice or Democrats, would not support minors getting abortions without the parents involved. Even if those parents would end up driving their daughter to the abortion clinic anyways, they probably would not like a law saying that parents can be excluded from the decision of their minor child to get an abortion. And yet, the left and the abortion industry and the Democratic Party, but I repeat myself, have always opposed parental notification requirements. This is wild to oppose that. And it just goes to show how truly radical you are, that you're not just a person of good faith wanting to leave these decisions in the hands of we the people, but rather you want to foist your alternative religion onto the American people and masquerade it as just politics. So the Women's Health Protection Act would jeopardize and probably overturn parental notification requirements in states that have upheld those laws. It would also force states to allow discriminatory abortions. So when a state says, if you're getting the abortion because the baby has Down syndrome or the baby's black or the baby's a girl and you don't want that gender, that ethnicity, or that, mal that malformity, right, then, um, and then uh, you can just get rid of the baby. That's fine. And so states have said, no, if, if the reason you're getting the abortion is for a discriminatory reason, we're going to ban those type of abortions. And the left in the abortion industry, of course, hates those laws because it tunes people into the self-evident reality that if it's wrong to kill babies because they're black, a girl, or have Down syndrome, then it's wrong to kill all babies. Because it's not like it's wrong to kill babies in the womb only if you're doing it because they have Down syndrome, right? It's not like babies are only valuable and have a right to life if they have Down syndrome. It's like, no, they have a right to life because they're human beings. And if it's wrong to kill them for discriminatory reasons, it's wrong to kill them for any reason. And so the Women's Health Protection Act 
would probably force states to allow such discriminatory abortions. The Charlotte Lozier Institute, reporting on the Women's Health Protection Act last year, said that they would invalidate the pre-viability application of state laws that prohibit the eugenic practices of Down syndrome discrimination abortion, sex-selective abortion, and race-based abortion. Very strange. What does the left call us? What do Democrats call us, the abortion industry? They say that we're sexist, we're racist, and we're ableist. Why? Because... Uh, we don't think there's systemic racism because we don't think that women should kill their babies to achieve gender equality um, and um, because we're pro-life and uh, that's why we're, oh, we're ableist because we oppose uh, universal health care. And so people who don't have as good access to high quality health care will therefore be discriminated against, even though we're saying, well, a market system actually allows the most human flourishing and the best services and healthcare goods to be brought to the American people. No, we're ableist because we, we oppose universal healthcare. Well, it's very interesting. It's actually the abortion industry, the Democratic Party and the culture of death, who are sexist, racist, and ableist. Ableist because they support abortions if there's something wrong with the baby, right? And we've got to purge the unfit from our midst to uh, pursue Margaret Sanger's pipe dream. They're sexist because they think that laws that prohibit sex-selective abortions are wrong. So they're in, in support of sex-selective abortions. What's more sexist than murdering someone because of their gender? Wouldn't that be a lot more wrong than, I don't know, not hiring someone because of their gender? Wouldn't uh, denying the right to life be more problematic than denying the right to a job? And then they're racist because they're perfectly fine with abortions that are sought after because of the race and ethnicity of the pre-born child. Again, what could be more racist than killing someone because of their skin color? Far more racist, in my opinion, than denying someone a job because of their skin color. Both are wrong, but it's significantly more wrong to kill someone, and yet they're fine with all of that. So who's the real ableist, sexist, and racist? And the Women's Health Protection Act would force states to allow those types of discriminatory abortions. The Women's Health Protection Act would block states from protecting pain-capable babies at 20 weeks of pregnancy in most cases. So states that have these 20-week abortion bans, which are the earliest abortion bans that have been allowed to stand, those would be immediately overturned, and force, uh, states would be forced to allow abortions through all nine months of pregnancy. Charlotte Lozier Institute reporting says that it creates a statutory right to perform or receive an abortion without any limit from a prohibition on abortion prior to fetal viability. But fetal vi viability occurs after 20 weeks of pregnancy in most cases. Therefore, the Women's Health Protection Act would block 20-week laws in most cases. And the Women's Health Protection Act would override state restrictions on abortions in the third trimester, because remember, it federalizes it through all nine months of pregnancy. So the bill would invalidate any state law that prohibits abortion after fetal, vi fetal viability when in the good faith medical judgment of the treating physician continuation of the pregnancy would pose a risk to the pregnant woman's life or health. And so health, once again, becomes the word that justifies abortion at any point, as long as the woman can uh, turn the word health into Plato to fit her needs. Alexandra DeSantis, writing for National Review at the time, covering Kamala Harris's co-sponsoring the Women's Health Protection Act, said, according to reporting from John McCormack, the bill's sponsors have said that it does not distinguish between the mother's physical and mental health. Read in conjunction with the Supreme Court's ruling in Doe versus Bolton, defining maternal health as including all factors, physical, emotional, psychological, familial, 
The Women's Health Protection Act would invalidate any and all state-level protections for unborn children after the point of viability, indeed up until birth. Well, here's how radical the women's health protection is. How out of touch are pro-abortion Democrats? How out of touch does this bill reveal that they are? Well, a 2021 Knights of Columbus Marist poll recently found that 76% of Americans, including many who consider themselves pro-choice, want restrictions on abortion. Now, 76% of Americans don't identify as pro-life, but 76% want some type of restrictions. Only 15% of all Americans, okay, only 15% of all Americans and 27% of those who identify as pro-choice said they support abortion for any reason up until birth. Only 15% of the American public says they support abortion for any reason up until birth. A Gallup poll from 2019 found a similar percentage that said that only 13% of the American public supported third trimester abortions, which would mean up until birth. But no dissent is allowed in the secular progressive journey towards utopia. They don't care how out of touch they are. They don't care that the Women's Health Protection Act would be opposed by vast majorities of the American public. Because as long as they dwell in positions of political power, they will assert their moral and political vision, no matter how inverted or upside down that vision is. So how do you stop dissent? If they don't allow any dissent, in their secular progressive journey towards utopia, which has always ended in anarchy and terror in every regime, then how do you stop such dissent? Well, there's two ways. Historically, there are two ways to stop the uh, electorate, the citizens, from dissenting to the agenda of the state. You do that through force or through indoctrination or self-censorship. So either you just assert yourself and say, we're literally going to force you to not dissent, or you do it through ideas, indoctrinating the public with a certain vision of what they call the good life so that they support your agenda, or through self-censorship to create fear of about speaking out against the regime so that you self-censor yourself and therefore you don't dissent. So you might be dissenting in your mind, in your thoughts, but that dissent poses no risk to the liberal regime because you're not doing anything to actively resist evil, you're just dissenting in your mind. Those are the two ways to stop dissent. And the Women's Health Protection Act attempts at both. They would use the power of the federal government to stop pro-lifers from dissenting to abortion through their representatives, right? At the state level, through their legislative attempts to protect the pre-born. The Women's Health Protection Act would say, no, you can't do that. Now, if states attempted to do that anyways, what would happen? I don't know, do federal troops come in to ensure that legislators are no longer passing pro-life laws? This is, a, this is a sort of scary thing to even think about, right? It's so anti-American. Such a vision or future would look a lot more like China or a communist Russia. So the Women's Health Protection Act would seek to stop dissent through force, through federal means, banning states and legislators from passing pro-life laws. But they would also seek to stop dissent through indoctrination or self-censorship. What do I mean by that? The Women's Health Protection Act, the liberal regime, the high priest of secular progressivism, the Democratic Party, continues to seek to control language and words 
in order to redefine reality. Words create worlds. And if you control words and the meaning of words, you control the world, you control the country. Because political correctness corrupts one's ability to think clearly about reality. As long as someone is constantly shoving definitions of words and the appropriate way to use those words at you, then you slowly but surely begin accepting the new redefinition of reality. Haven't you seen this in people you know, by the way? How many Christians do we know who are now using the term biological male? I see this from conservatives all the time. They're, they're, rather than calling Bruce Jenner, Bruce Jenner and a male, we call him now a biological male. It, what does that mean? As opposed to non-biological males? <laughs> He's just a male, okay? Don't qualify it with biological. That grants a premise to the left that, that maybe there actually is a difference between biology and the body, but there isn't, right? So you see that even amongst people who don't believe that men can be women and women can be men, and yet they're still using that term biological male. And then the ones that are really off the rails are the conservatives who actually refer to men who think they're women as women, right? People who call Bruce Jenner she, in order to what, respect him? No, it's not respectful to tell lies. That's disrespectful because it's wrong and inverted. And when you communicate lies, you don't help people, you harm them. And so the religion of secular progressivism, which is basically a prerequisite now to serve in today's Democratic Congress, continues to seek to control language and words to redefine reality. And that example kind of shows how they're being successful in doing that. Well, the Women's Health Protection Act compares abortion the dismemberment or poisoning of a little human, they compare that murder to a colonoscopy. In the Women's Health Protection Act, they compare abortion to a colonoscopy. Why? Because it's just another medical procedure, right? It's just another surgical procedure, and abortion is healthcare. They're redefining words to redefine reality. That's one of the ways that they stop dissent, is they get people accepting or using their definition of terms which then rearranges reality in their minds to accept the religion of secular progressivism. So why do they do this? And why is this important? Because if you tell a lie long enough and enough times, people will believe it. There's this great line in Alice in Wonderland, maybe you remember, between Alice and Humpty Dumpty. And Humpty Dumpty says, when I use a word, it means just what I choose it to mean, neither more nor less. <laughs> and Alice says, the question is whether you can make words mean different things. Can you make words mean so many different things? <laughs> really? Whatever you want it to mean? And Humpty Dumpty says, the question is, which is to be master? That's all. Hmm. So Humpty Dumpty, as sort of a representative of the liberal establishment, says that the question is not whether I can make words mean so many different things. The question is, which is to be master? That's all. Who's to be in charge? Who is to assert power when they have it to accomplish their means? Presumably, Humpty Dumpty means, are we to master language or is language to master us? If we can master language, then there is no objective reality. Words are no longer pointers that refer to something in the real world. Right? When I say man, I don't mean woman. <laughs> when I say conservative, I don't mean progressive. I mean, I mean something specific, that thing right there. If we master language, then words have no meanings. Therefore, there is no objective reality because those words don't refer to anything in the real world. They're just like clay that can be fit to the 
Mulder's hands. But if language is to master us, then that means there is an objective reality. That words actually mean something, which means they don't mean other things. Which means you can't redefine them. Which means we have to speak in a way that acknowledges objective reality and the meaning of words. Who is to be master, that's all. That's what the left understands. They want to master language and words to redefine reality. And if they can even liberate themselves from human nature, then there is no end to their political project. If humans can be non-persons like the pre-born, if men can be women, then you can liberate yourself from the objective human nature that we're endowed with. And if you can pull that off, there is no end to your political project. This is what the left has always understood. And how have you seen this play out in real life, in your life? How many people do you know, how many Christians in your life do you know who say they're pro-choice? You probably know a few. They've been indoctrinated by the religion of secular progressivism as they masquerade as politicians. And so now they're not dissenting because they've accepted pro-choice as part of their religion. How many Christians do you know who say they're personally pro-life, but they don't want to legislate their beliefs? Have you heard that? I'm personally pro-life. Like, I wouldn't get an abortion or kill my own unborn child or ask my daughter to kill my unborn grandchild. But, you know, I shouldn't legislate my beliefs because that's just a Christian belief, and I'm afraid of the theocracy. I don't want to assert my Christian perspectives within policy, and so I just won't vote or I'll vote for Democrats even though I'm pro-life. I bet you know a few Christians who say they're personally pro-life but don't want to legislate their beliefs, they have also been indoctrinated with a certain liberal vision of the good life. And so they're no longer dissenting to the culture of death. And so the high priests of secular progressivism have accomplished their goal of stopping dissent, either through wielding federal political power or through censorship, self-censorship and indoctrination. And lastly, how many of, um, how many of you know Christians who say they're pro-life but said that they had to vote for Biden because abortion isn't the only pro-life issue, you know? And Democrats are really good at pro-life when it comes to the border and universal health care and universal basic income. Those are pro-life issues too. And so I had to weigh those, um, you know, against abortion. And I found that they weighed over abortion and those were more important. So I voted for Democrats. Well, they're self-censoring, right? They're not even advocating for their beliefs, which they say are pro-life beliefs. And so their dissent means nothing to the liberal establishment. How many Christians today have actually been indoctrinated into the pro-choice position? And if not, how many Christians are self-censoring and not speaking out against what they say they believe is wrong? Most Christians do not live as if abortion is genocide. So many of us, to some degree, are self-censoring while the liberal establishment asserts their religious position with greater zeal and abandonment than most Christians will assert their vision of the good life within a political system that gives power to the people. Well, this is what the Women's Health Protection Act would do. And of course, it seeks to redefine reality and treat dissenters as heretics of their religion. Well, next we're going to get to Dr. Frankenstein Fauci 
as a high priest of this death cult. But first, if you like this show and want to hear more great content and commentary from the front lines of the abortion wars and the pro-life movement, then head on over to patreon.com forward slash unaborted. Uh, it's just a crowdfunding platform where you can support the show. Check out our tiers. We've got some fun ones like Energetic Embryo and Zealous Zygote, Sassy Since Conception, and The Bane of Choice. And these are different tiers. You'll get perks for supporting the show, but it helps us expand the reach of the show, expand the production value, the amount of content we do, the team that we have to reach more people with this, and soon, with funding, creating conversational content on the streets putting these ideas in a conversational format to create more viral friendly content to change minds, change hearts and save lives. Thank you so much. We'll be right back with a whole lot more. Welcome back to the show. So Dr. Fauci is probably the highest priest in this alternative religion of secular liberalism. And all the more so because he's not accountable to the people. He is a high priest, he's untouchable, and we cannot merely vote him out of office. Well, Dr. Fauci has not only ruined the country by masquerading his bigotry as science when it comes to COVID, but he's also masqueraded his bigotry as science when it comes to abortion. Many of you may not know this about Dr. Fauci, but he's incredibly pro-abortion and has been funding some of the most heinous experiments on human beings that our country has ever done. The Center for Medical Progress recently released a video detailing research in which infant remains are harvested from abortions at Planned Parenthood and uh, quote-unquote given to the University of Pittsburgh, given meaning there was probably financial reimbursements there. And we've known for a long time, right, that Planned Parenthood will sell the limbs of the children they already killed for extra cash. And that's what David Delighton and the Center for Medical Progress revealed in 2015 up in Northern California at Advanced Bioscience Resources, who were purchasing the limbs of children and the organs of recently murdered children from various abortion clinics and Planned Parenthoods all around the country and specifically in California. Well, guess who funds this? Guess who funds this research um, of harvesting the organs of children recently killed at Planned Parenthood and given to the University of Pittsburgh? The NIAID office, the National Institute for Allergies and Infectious Diseases, which is housed within the NIH, which is headed up by Dr. Fauci. He is the head of the NIAID. On May 4th, the Center for Medical Progress founder, David Delayden, testified before the Pennsylvania Health Committee, so this was just um, last month, and he said, it's a matter of public record that there are horrific abuses of aborted infants taking place in Pennsylvania through the extensive fetal experimentation programs at the taxpayer-funded University of Pittsburgh. In a recent study, Pitt scientists described scalping scalping five-month-old aborted babies and grafting their scalps onto the backs of lab rats to keep them growing. In the study, you can see pictures of little baby scalps growing tiny baby hairs on the backs of lab rats and lab mice. Each one of those scalps represents a little Pennsylvania baby who could have grown those little hairs on their head if they had not been killed by abortion for experiments with freaking rodents. Uh, I added freaking. Uh, David Delighton goes on and says, starting in 2016, Pitt received a $1.4 million grant from the NIH 
to become a distribution hub for aborted fetal kidneys and bladders and other organs in the NIH's uh, Genitorinary Development Mapping Atlas Program. Pitt's grant application for this grant from the NIH states that the university has a unique access to a large number of high-quality aborted fetuses and can, quote, ramp up delivery of abortion fetal body parts across the country. So our taxpayer dollars are funding this, and it is creating a, a continued market for the killing of babies in order to get their flesh to insert on mice to grow human hair to test vaccines before we test them on humans to extend our own lives. And this is why this politics is actually an alternative religion that seeks what every human being seeks, eternal life, to live forever. Christians find that solution and peace in the blood of Christ uh, on shed on the cross, and the high priests of secular progressivism find that hope for eternal life and peace for the sin of man in science to try to live forever. Now, hopefully this disturbs you. If it doesn't, I'm not really sure what to tell you. But many fake conservatives and pro-lifers actually support this type of quote-unquote medical experimentation because they say, well, Seth, the babies were already dead. You know, they say, hey, I hate abortion too and I want to end it. But since we haven't yet, right, we haven't accomplished ending abortion yet, what's wrong? What's wrong with that? With, with using the sadly murdered babies towards good ends. In the meantime, if they're dead, you know, let's just use them to find cures and vaccines to help people who weren't aborted and are born and have what I call born privilege. So for the many people who support this and for the fake conservatives and libertarians and squishy pro-lifers who say it's fine because the babies are already dead, let me ask you something. What if instead of aborted unborn babies, the University of Pittsburgh was purchasing the bodies of black Americans killed through gang violence or how about killed through white police officers immediately after death? obtaining their body parts so the cadavers were as fresh as possible, and then mutilating them in order to create black humanized mice to test vaccines. How would we, how would we feel about that? Would that disturb you? Do you think Black Lives Matter Incorporated might have something to say about that, about mutilating the bodies of recently black murdered human beings? Or would they applaud that science was once again leading us into the progressive future? Yeah, I don't think so. I think the culture would be very repulsed by that, opposed to that. I think they'd have a field day. And I think Black Lives Matter would be on every mainstream media leftist news station covering this heinous practice. So what does that tell you? It tells you that there's something um, valuable about human beings, that there's dignity attached to the individual, such that we should respect the bodies of recently killed or dead human beings, unless they're unborn, which just exposes the bigotry of choice that dehumanizes the preborn and treats them as less deserving of the type of dignity and rights that we demand born people are treated with. So why is this type of research wrong? Why is fetal tissue research, which is kind of a euphemism anyways, dead baby mutilation, let's call it, why is this wrong in the first place? For the squishy conservatives and pro-lifers who say that we should support this, this is just a blessing of liberty to pursue the pursuit of happiness of born people. Well, it's wrong because you must kill the baby to get its parts, to get its tissue. If the unborn is a human person, then killing her to benefit others is a clear-cut evil. 
It, treat, it treats a distinct human being with inestimable worth as nothing more than a commodity. Secondly, this type of research that Dr. Frankenstein Fauci is funding is wrong because evil means are used to secure a good end, and that's not good. Accepting baby body parts obtained through elective abortion makes one an accomplice to a crime after the fact. Because unlike adult organ donations, the death of the baby is intentionally caused. You, you intentionally kill the baby to get its parts. Organ donation of adults who are killed in tragedies is not wrong because they're consenting to it and you're not killing them to get their parts. Let me give you a thought experiment. I want you to consider a case where a hospital, maybe a hospital at University of Pittsburgh, becomes the beneficiary of a gang of killers, <laughs> gang killers, who supply it with fresh cadavers every month. Now, would you question the moral appropriateness of the hospital continuing cooperation with the suppliers? I mean, they're already dead, right? Yeah, but dude, hospital, you're, you're coordinating with killers and you're only getting the bodies because the people are killing innocent human beings and then you're getting their cadavers. You need to stop that. That's wrong, right? You're, you're an accomplice to a crime after the fact. Well, the same holds true with abortion. By the way, German doctors who were, convinced, who were convicted at the Nuremberg trials passionately argued that they were only using the brains of Jews for the greater good. And hey, plus they said, we didn't kill the Jews. It was the Nazis who did that. Right? It was SS troops who killed the Jews, not us. We were just experimenting on the brains and bodies of recently murdered Jews to pursue medical treatments for fit Aryan Germans. What's the problem? These physicians believed that they had a moral imperative to make good use of the bodies the SS troops supplied them with. However, the court at Nuremberg rejected this claim. They said, no, what you did was still wrong. And today there is hardly a peer-reviewed journal in existence that will actually publish the results from the Nazi experiments. Why? Because of the nature of the crimes committed. Because of what was done in order to get those bodies to perform experiments. So such experimentation that Dr. Fauci funds is evil because evil means are used to, sec to secure allegedly a good end. Thirdly, such fetal tissue research, dead baby mutilation research is wrong because it creates a market, a market for the evil means. And what's the means? Abortion. Unwanted babies are the first market the abortion industry profits off of. They, they are profited, right? They make money off of aborting babies. But then fetal tissue research creates an additional market for the abortion industry because now they can sell the bodies of the babies they already killed. So you're, hitting, you're getting a two birds with one stone, right? This only grows, strengthens, and empowers the abortion industry, who are the practitioners of killing babies. So that's the third reason why such fetal tissue research is wrong. It creates a market for the evil means. And lastly, it's wrong because it communicates that abortion can be a moral good. What do I mean by that? It will communicate to some women that killing their unborn child redeems their desperate situation, right? Normalizing, mainstreaming, celebrating, and legalizing fetal tissue research, dead baby mutilation, communicates to abortion-minded women who are in a desperate situation that, hey, uh, at least the abortion's being redeemed. At least my dead baby will be used for scientific experimentation to find vaccines and cures for born people, and so there was something good and redemptive about my abortion. No! That's disgusting, that's wrong, that's evil. And you're telling women that there can be a redemptive nature to their abortion because, hey honey, we'll just use the flesh of your recently murdered child that you paid us to kill 
to help everyone else and, 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 and expand human flourishing. Scott Klusendorf says, puts this beautifully, says the prospect of redeeming the abortion to provide tissue for someone else throws a powerful motivation into a psychologically complex situation. And we know that such a redemptive message can actually increase the abortion rate. What do I mean by that? A 1995 study by the Joint Center for Bioethics at the University of Toronto found the following, that among women who would consider abortion, 17% would be more likely to have one if fetal tissue could be donated for medical use. So they polled, they did a study and found that women who already would contemplate abortion, 17% would be more likely, they would be more likely to follow through with paying someone to kill their baby if the parts of the child could be donated for medical use, because now at least it's redemptive. Well, at around 1 million abortions a year in America, a 17% increase would be catastrophic. Therefore, allowing for and celebrating the benefits of fetal tissue research has a direct impact on the abortion increase. And guess what? Dr. Frankenstein Fauci knows all of that. And he, his pockets are lined by pro-abortion Democrats. I can't imagine the number of ways he has been reimbursed either through speaking or through funding by pro-abortion Democrats. And he knows that fetal tissue research is very um, lucrative and it also increases the abortion rate. Abortion, the greatest sacrament of his religion where he serves as high priest. So the culture of death allows no dissent. Even after the babies they demand we kill are already dead, now they demand that we scalp them and insert them onto rats to extend our own lives. Well, next we're gonna get to a New York Times opinion editorial demanding that corporate America boycott states passing pro-life legislation. But first, if you want to enjoy this show visually, uh, to see me, to see the clips we play on this show, uh, then head on over to YouTube, to my channel, Seth Gruber of Voice for the Unborn. Um, and uh, go ahead and hit subscribe, hit the notifications bell so you don't miss a single video. As long as I, I can continue to fly under the radar of the technocrats at Google, then we want to reach as many people as possible with the truth about life and the bigotry of abortion. And uh, your help, subscribing your help on Patreon helps us reach more people, create more uh, interactive content on these platforms, on the new marketplace of ideas to change minds, change hearts, and save lives. Let us, uh, let, uh, help us out, subscribe. It helps us reach more people, and we'll, we'll be right back with a whole lot more. So it's not only that the culture of death demands that we shut up when they attempt to kill babies and use their parts in scientific experimentation, but it's also that they demand that everyone else abide by and adopt their religion and advocate for it in corporate America, right? Uh, secular liberalism is a jealous God and demands that everyone else um, adhere to their religion. Uh, so much for Christians being the theocrats, I guess. Well, the New York Times published an opinion editorial on June 3rd called The Sound of Silence on Abortion. Now, when you read that title, you might think that's pretty great, right? Like, just on the face of it, you might think like, right, like abortions are silent. We don't hear the screams of the children as they're killed. Or maybe you're thinking, right, we're silent about this in America. We don't speak up against this. That's the sound of silence. Where are the people defending the children, defending human equality? And that's not what they mean. <laughs> that's not what they mean. As the probably greatest um, publisher 
of the religious creeds of secular progressivism. Uh, the New York Times is essentially just a, a religious tract for this alternative religion. Well, Linda Greenhouse, writing on June 3rd, discusses in this piece the recent pro-life legislation coming out of Mississippi and Texas and many other hundreds of abortion restrictions since the beginning of the year. Um, and as we discussed earlier, the Guttmacher Institute has been crying and screaming about how many state-level abortion restrictions have been being proposed or passed around the country. And so Linda Greenhouse, writing the New York Times, is complaining about this as well, saying 2021 is going to be the worst year for women's rights. Well, not preborn women's rights. What she means is women's rights to pay a hitman to kill her child. So she mourns over the increase in pro-life legislation at the state level all around the country and then begins to demand that woke corporations boycott these states passing pro-life laws just like they did Georgia for their racist Jim Crow era voting restrictions. Wait, oh, you mean their voter integrity law? Yeah, you mean like showing up better like laws to make sure that like only registered like Americans are voting. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> she, she demands that woke corporations boycott pro-life states in the same way they did Georgia for um, tightening up their, um, their voting laws. And so um, she thinks that this is the strategy to stop the dissenters of the sacrament of abortion. And by the way, it was quite funny just going to show you how, um, how little the religion of the left actually cares about the little guy, about blacks who are allegedly being discriminated against through racist voting laws. You might recall that through the boycotts of woke corporations on Georgia and the NFL, right, moving their, uh, was it the Super Bowl? I don't really follow these woke sports anymore. Uh, I can't think it was Super Bowl, some major sports, moving their game to Colorado, which has way more white people than Georgia and has stricter voting laws than Georgia. But the whole point of moving it was to boycott Georgia because of their strict voting laws, which discriminate uh, against black people. So you move somewhere with stricter voting laws and more white people. Wait, it's almost like it's not about race and it's not about equity. It's about who will be master, who will assert political power when they have it to pursue their utopia, their vision of the good life. Exactly. Wake up, woke Christians. Wake up, progressive court jesters in the kingdom of liberalism, to quote Michael Knowles. Wake up. This is about political power and political vision, not about caring for the little guy or upholding human rights and human equity. They obviously don't care about that at all. Well, the same thing is true here, of course. They claim to care about women's rights, but not pre-born women's rights. They claim to care about women's health, but they oppose pro-life laws that say that abortionists have to meet the same surgical health standards as every other surgeon to take care of women's health. And they say, this might result in a decrease to abortion, so we have to oppose it. And pro-lifers say, dude, we're just trying to make sure that women who do get abortions are not unnecessarily harmed and are taken care of in the same way that women would be if they were pursuing any other surgery. And the left goes, no, we can't have that. I guess you don't care about the health care of women. I guess you just care about increasing abortions because it's your sacrament, isn't it? Yes, you high priests of an alternative religion. And so this is what she's calling for, right? She's requiring adherence to the theocratic regime of liberalism by demanding that woke corporations boycott pro-life states. Here's what she says. 
It seems to me that a person doesn't have to be an abortion rights crusader in order to see this law for what it is, a perversion of the legal system, as Americans have traditionally understood it. Even someone uncomfortable with abortion and supportive of restricting its availability ought to be able to see this statute for what it is, a dagger in the heart of the rule of law, a handmaid's tale dystopia come to life. <laughs> yes, I'm talking to you, Michael Dell, in your Dell Technologies executive suite outside Austin. I'm talking to you, American Airlines, in your new Fort Worth headquarters, and to you, Hewlett Packard in Houston, all three companies voiced their opposition to voter suppression efforts. Who will speak up for your female customers now and your female employees now that the state where you've planted your corporate flag has decided to use them as bit players in a parody of politics? Abortion may be an uncomfortable subject to talk about, but don't misunderstand the silence. Abortion is not rare. It is, in fact, a common female experience, although I'll grant that it is not as common as voting. Nearly half of all pregnancies in the United States are unintended, and some 40% of those end in abortion. This is life as women live it, even in Texas. Of course, just as corporations based far from Georgia spoke out against that state's election law, the corporate response to Texas should not be limited geographically. At least 10 states, including Texas, have so-called trigger laws, under which all or nearly all abortions would become illegal automatically if the Supreme Court overturns Roe v. Wade. The list of states moving in this direction is growing, right? So here's what she's saying. She's saying, y'all spoke out against Georgia's racist voting laws. Even though you weren't in Georgia, you got to do the same for these pro-life laws all around the country. So then she quotes Jeffrey Sonnenfeld, who's a Yale School of Management professor, who I guess in April joined 100 executives in a Zoom call to discuss Georgia's election law. So Linda Greenhouse, who writes this piece at the New York Times, finishes by quoting Jen, uh, Jeffrey Sonnenfeld, she says, his reflection offered in that context applies just as well to abortion. And here's how she finishes her article quoting this, this woke professor. Some companies waffle, trying not to make enemies, he said. You can't get away with that anymore. Your silence is acquiescence. It's a decision. You're making a decision. Your silence is a decision. And when you recognize that, some of these issues are so salient and so crit critical that you have to take a position, right? So she quotes him speaking to woke corporations to oppose Georgia's quote-unquote racist voting law to say the same holds true for you woke corporations today who need to speak out against states passing pro-life bills because that discriminates against women by denying them the right to arrange the death of their own pre-born offspring. That's how she finishes her article. In other words, woke corporations need to assert power in order to stop people from dissenting to the religion of secular progressivism. Now, listen, how powerful are words? How powerful are words exactly? Humpty Dumpty understands it. Who will be master? Who will de decide and define what words mean? Well, I bet if I had read to you what he just wrote about silence being acquiescence, being a decision, about silence being a decision and that you have to take a position, I bet if I read that to you without that context and without your understanding of the wokeification of corporate America, you might have guessed this professor was discussing the importance of speaking out against abortion. Right? Because when we say the word abortion, we think genocide and the killing of the innocent. But the high priests and deacons of the religion of secular progressivism think healthcare, equity, equality, justice, and freedom. How could we think of such 
alternative thoughts, such polar opposite thoughts when the word abortion is said because of the power of words. If I had read to you his final line, you wouldn't have known that he was talking about racist voting laws. You wouldn't have thought that Linda Greenhouse was referring to, to theocratic anti-woman pro-life laws. You would think he was talking about speaking out against something that actually is evil, like abortion. This is why no dissent is allowed against this alternative religion, because such dissent communicates a different moral and political vision. And the moral and political vision of conservatives and pro-lifers is self-evident. It's based on self-evident American principles. Like all humans are persons, like we're endowed by our creator with certain inalienable rights that among these are life first. And obviously our rights don't come from our utility or our functions, it comes from our human nature, which we had at the moment of conception. Well, such ideas are self-evident. And as long as Americans are free to hear and discriminate between different visions for the country, then many will reject the debauched vision of the religion of secular progressivism. So as the true theocrats, the priests of leftism, who masquerade as politicians in the Democratic Party, they must shield we the people, their, their sheep, right, from alternative ideas. They have to protect us from those ideas. Why? Because they see those as dangerous ideas to their alternative religion. But they're self-evident ideas. They're common sense ideas. But common sense ain't so common anymore. And they have to protect individuals from those ideas because then they might reject the ideas being offered by leftism. And this is why social media censorship nearly only ever goes one way, right? Because it's only the conservative ideas they're afraid with changing public opinion which then takes away political power from them. This is why the left frames the abortion debate as reproductive health care, right? Versus um, those who want to take away women's health care. <gasps> oh, what kind of, kind of anti-woman, anti-feminist person are you, you bigot? You sexist? You want to take health care away from women? That's why they frame it that way. As long as abortion is health care, then if you're pro-life, you are against women and you are against health care. Because if abortion is merely health care, then any ideas you offer to the contrary is just your attempt to hide your true and sinister motives. You hate women and want to bring back the patriarchy where women don't have full equality, right? As long as abortion is framed as health care, then that's who we are. This is why the Women's Health Protection Act calls abortion, quote-unquote, essential, Okay, the Women's Health Protection Act, to go back to the top of the show, calls abortion essential to women's health and central to women's ability to, quote, participate equally in the economic and social life of the nation. So abortion equals equality. What, you're opposed to equality, you sick, conservative, bigoted rube? Exactly. That's why they have to control the narrative. They have to control words. They have to redefine reality. They have to be the master of words to stop the dissent of conservatives. Joseph Goebbels, the Nazi propagandist, was once a little too honest explaining this political strategy, right, of banning dissent. Because allowing dissent allows for another narrative to counter the narrative of the state. Here's what he said. If you tell a lie big enough and keep repeating it, people will eventually come to believe it. He says, the lie can be maintained only for such time as the state can shield the people from the political, economic, and or military consequences of the lie. It thus becomes vitally important for the state to use all of its powers to repress dissent 
to repress dissent. For the truth is the mortal enemy of the lie. And thus, by extension, the truth is the greatest enemy of the state. Ah, Goebbels, I think you were a little bit too honest there. Now, people say, Seth, don't make another Nazi comparison. All right, I'm not saying that Democrats are Nazis, except for abortionists who kind of are Nazis. So I guess you support Nazism if you support abortion. But I'm not saying that abortion, I'm not saying that the Democrats are literal Nazis. I'm saying they support Nazi-like ideas, like not all humans are persons, and those that we deny personhood to can be killed. But Joseph Goebbels is a little bit honest in his political strategic approach to repressing dissent. And the religion of secular progressivism in the Democratic Party today takes the same approach. They know that truth is the greatest enemy of the state. And we know the truth. And the truth, to quote scripture, shall set us free. So if they want to force states to stop passing pro-life legislation, then pass more. Dissent. Be a dissenter. Engage in politics. Get political. Stand up for something. Believe in something. And then go fight for it, damn it. So if they want to force states to pass pro-life legislation, to stop passing pro-life legislation, pass more. If they want to coerce doctors to perform abortions, then sue them. If they want to scalp murder children and force you to fund it, then go get political and primary every single one of those pro-abortion Democrats in your area. If they want to demand that corporate America boycott pro-life states, then rally together as religious pro-lifers and boycott businesses who support abortion or pressure states to and pressure states to pass pro-life laws. If they masquerade the religion of secular progressivism as just politics so that those Christians keep their faith out of the political sphere, then call them out as a false religion. And pastors, go preach against false religion in your church and rally your people to action. And for you woke progressive Christians who refuse to engage politically because you fear a Christian theocratic state, a Christian theocracy, wake up. The theocracy is already here, and it's been here for quite some time. The religion of that theocracy is called secular humanism, and it's a basic requirement today to serve in today's Democratic Congress. And secular liberalism is a jealous, jealous God that allows for no dissent. Praise God, huh? We live in a uh, constitutional republic founded by uh, conservative Christians, huh? Praise God that we can use the political tools they gave us to advocate for righteousness and withhold evil. Will we use those political tools today that our founding fathers gave us in order to dissent to this alternative rival religion? I hope so. The only question is what we'll do with the time that is given to us. Thank you so much for joining the show. Head on over to iTunes, YouTube, Spotify. Give the show a rating and review. It really helps us reach more people. If you want to learn more and engage with me online, head on over to sethgruber.com, S-E-T-H-G-R-U-B as in baby boy, E-R.com, to sign up for my newsletter, to view my speaking schedule if you want to hear me speak live and local, or to book me for an event. My summer is nearly full. My fall is starting to fill up fast. Get me to fly out and speak to, to your school, your church your event soon to wake people up, pour kerosene on their hearts so they'll be ablaze with righteousness to defend the rights of the unborn child. Until next week, I'm Seth Gruber and this is Unaborted. Hey! Hey!